The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As you begin your spiritual journey, you are often told what to do and receive advice on which path to follow. But as you move along, eventually you need to become your own guide. Progress can be difficult at times, but once you reach new levels of awareness, the inner vistas are spectacular. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your guide and companion is Giles Asselin. Come join us now on this path of exploration. Here is your host, Giles Asselin. Yes, good afternoon everyone. This is Jill calling or talking. Uh, Welcome. Welcome back if you heard about, uh, listened to one of the shows before. Or welcome if this is your first um, exposure or slash participation into the spelunking uh, exercise. So today I I came up with a a challenging question. And I guess the the questions are not... You know, it's very difficult for all of us to answer those questions, but they are more like to, to tickle, to tickle our mind, tickle our hearts, uh, and, and make, us, make, make us go within and, and see what, we, what kind of answers we find, what kind of insights come to life, I guess. That's the purpose of the questions. And the one for today is uh, how can we see or how can we discern the eyes of our hearts and it's uh, it's not an easy thing to do uh, that's the first thing I must uh, I must admit uh, I don't do this on a, on a 24-hour basis if I were I mean I wouldn't be here maybe I don't know but and the way I wanted to start the, the show today the, the session I would say is to, to give you a quote by Rainer Maria Rilke is an Austrian uh, poet he was born in 1875 and he died in uh, 1926, so he belongs to a, a different century. And he wrote many different uh, beautiful poems um, that are in, in German, most of them, some of them in French as well, and they've all been translated into English. And uh, he has a very nice way to, to go about things and to make us reflect. And this one is about about living the questions. So I think it it addresses at the same time the questions that I pose when I when I plan a show, when I put together a show, and also the question that we may have for ourselves in our hearts. So his quote says, "Have patience with everything unresolved in your heart, and try to love the questions themselves, as if they are." as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers, which could not be given to you now, because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday, far in the future, you will gradually, 
without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. And I think it's um, it's a good way to to uh, to attack, in a sense, to approach this the question of the day about discerning with the eyes of our heart. Because it's impossible to get a full answer at once. Uh, it's almost like a, a yarn uh, of wool that you pull the thread and gradually, um, you know, bit by bit, you get more of the answer and you, you understand and things start to make sense. I would say in a sense, uh, things start to, to thicken and and there's a direction for you to to keep searching and to keep uh, to keep the spelunking going. It's like you you get into a new cave in a sense to use that same metaphor, and then you see something interesting. You don't know what it is, and you search around. You you remove some of the dirt, and then you see that there is some potential there for for possibly a greater discovery. And that's where you dig. That's where you search. That's where you crawl. That's where you venture. And, and I think that's, that's again, a, a good way to look at things, to look at life, when we are, we are seeking answers about um, simply how to make progress in our lives, uh, how to move uh, upward and forward in, in a spiritual but also in a material way often uh, so that um, the spiritual and the material are, are aligned, I guess, and it's not a... It's not an easy thing to do, as, as you know. So I, I wanted to offer that quote um, as a way to begin. And it made me think also as about another quote I shared, maybe in show number three or four, when I was talking about love. And there was the story of the rabbi. And they were putting the answer on top of the heart. And the answer was staying there until one day, the person obviously was then ready and the answer would fall into the heart, and the person would then understand. So I think it's, you know, across, across spiritual practices, uh, poets, uh, spiritual masters, um, even religious masters, there, there's, a, there's a common way of addressing life and the mysteries that life uh, have uh, for us to solve. Uh, I believe it's, uh, it's our purpose to be here today, in this 21st century and, and to address some of the, the mysteries we are faced with and possibly the greatest and at the same time the simplest that we have to face is who am I or why am I here on earth today? And it's, um, again, it's not a, the kind of question you would get all the answers right, right from the beginning, right uh, all at once. I think it would be too, too difficult to swallow but um, it's, it's something we keep, need to keep going at. So when I think about the heart, and I will be talking about the heart, but um, it seems just as important to me to be also talking about the mind because usually either we come from the mind or we come from the heart. And in general, um, for many of us, uh, the influence of the mind is so strong that it tend to mask uh, the presence or the messages of the heart. And except if we make a conscious effort to go into the heart, like we can do during meditations, and spend, like we did last week, uh, the cave of the heart, if we have, quote-unquote, the luxury to spend time there, 
and to practice uh, strengthening our muscle, uh, it's a metaphor again, the muscle of the heart, then it's possible to get, you know, to get to the knowledge uh, of the heart and to have the insights that we are seeking. But it's, it's not really possible to do this on a 24-hour basis. And I would say that most of the time, most of the day, uh, our mind um, has a tendency to take a strong hold on who we are and a tendency also to, to lead whatever, to lead the boat or to, to be the rudder in a sense uh, that we follow. And we tend to do things with the mind, which is not always uh, reliable. Uh, the mind uh, gets us into trouble. So the search for the heart and the search for the insights from the heart, I guess, is a, is a lifelong journey. That's the way I look at it. And the way it goes, um, in many instances, it goes, it goes by, by, I would say, reducing the influence that the mind plays in our lives. Uh, and we can get strong, um, I would say almost predicaments, but strong messages, uh, strong emotions coming from the mind. And I think it's important to balance those out with what comes from the heart which usually is of a, of a much softer nature. We can get you know, messages, we can get a feeling of compassion, we can get a feeling of, of serenity, um, a feeling of, of balance. Uh, a word also that I like is the feeling of equanimity, um, a gentle um, breeze coming from the heart, and, and not so much the, the shock or the aftershock um, of a of a rough mind. So how we do, we do we do that? I mean, I was thinking about what I heard about the mind, and I think it's um, many thinkers, many sages would think that it's important to be the master of our own mind. And I would, have, um, I would agree with that. Uh, it's important to, to acknowledge the, the mind for what it is, because it's a very usual, it's a very useful um, Entity, uh, for lack of a better word, it's a very useful uh, entity. Uh, it allows us to, to live a normal life and, and to, to live in a society that has been designed by minds. If we look at uh, what goes around us, I mean, the way societies have been built, the way countries have been structured, the laws... All of these is coming from, from people's minds and, and mostly mostly from men's mind. So there isn't um, even much of a feminine energy sometimes in those laws, in those rules, in those structures. And one example that came to mind this week, uh, it's a very simple example. I was part of a, a two-day program for... Uh, it's a cross-cultural training program for a family moving from France to the U.S. <laughs> and I was there for two hours, virtually, for Skype. And um, uh, my, sec- my session, my, my little um, gig, in a sense, was only a two-hour session that took place Tuesday morning. And the person leading the training, it was just her and the two people from France, uh, was there for two days, Mondays and Tuesday. And so my, my little piece was Tuesday morning, and it well prepared. Uh, it's, usually, it's very it's very personal because these people, you know, come from France. They have questions. They have a, 
questions about living as an expatriate or living in a foreign land uh, when you don't always speak the language fluently. So we have a lot in common and it's very, very easy for me to, to feel close to their concerns. And uh, the sort of session went well. And um, then the person who was leading the, the training, her name is Stephanie, gave me some feedback and she was very happy. And she said she was very happy because things went well and the evaluations were very good. And it made me think about, you know, we, we need to evaluate, uh, we need to assess, we need to, to measure, in a sense, in our world, in our, in our objective slash rational world. And, and that's where the mind gets into the picture. Obviously, the mind has been there for a long time and has set that into motion a long time ago. I don't know when we started to measure performance, but I'm sure a few centuries ago. And... Um, that made me think, you know, what about how can we assess, quote-unquote, assess may not be the right word, but how can we assess the benefits of this session uh, from the heart? And I think in this sense, uh, in the first place, having a heart-to-heart -heart dialogue with these two people is a way to put the heart in the center uh, of the picture. And I'm sure that's what uh, this person, Stephanie, did for two days. She was with them, uh, physically speaking, and I wasn't. So obviously she was able to share uh, much more than I was. And she was able to give them uh, information, insights, um, directions, whatever she, they needed. And uh, obviously, you know, within the course of the two days, uh, a relationship uh, is being built. And I think a relationship that, that builds, that, um, that forms, uh, that is budding in a sense, is much more of a heart nature than it is of a mind nature. I think it carries much more, much more feminine energy than, than a performance uh, appraisal would. So that's the, the reflection I had for the past um, two days about the importance of the heart and how can we, um, I would almost say, insert the heart into the picture? Because if you come to reflect on how we live, again, in a structured environment, when we have to put bread on the table every day, I mean, obviously, uh, we need some money and there's uh, some material constraints that we all have. And... Uh, Oftentimes they are, you know, they are guided by the mind and we are very grateful that our mind are sharp enough to, to do the work we have to do. And uh, at the end of the month to, to bring back a paycheck. But, but what about, I said inserting, what about infusing? I think it's a better word. What about infusing more heart into what we do on, on a daily basis? And I think it's a better way of addressing uh, today's uh, show. You know, how can we infuse heart on a regular basis um, into what we do. And, and when you talk about the heart, what comes to mind is feeling. Uh, I was mentioning the relationship, which is more of a feeling nature when, when uh, two or three people come together and start having a dialogue, uh, hopefully a heart-to-heart -heart dialogue, and things are at a certain level of depth start to form. And, um, and so that's what I wanted to explore today. I wanted to, um, to talk, and I think it's also a very good example, um, talking about our societies 
and um, and the way we live, uh, I wanted to mention the story of a dragon. Uh, you may smile at the idea of sharing a dragon a dragon story. Uh, this is a book we read on a regular basis to a five-year-old, and it's called Not Your Typical Dragon. And uh, I think it's really a dragon of the heart, and that's why I wanted to bring him into the picture today. And uh, I will let you know in the next segment coming up um, the story about this little dragon that is coming from the heart. And in a sense, it goes back, it, it defies what society uh, as the society's norms, what society has defined for him and for us to do, you know, because our parents wanted us to do it, to be a doctor or a lawyer or a mechanics or, or a baker or, or whatever profession that a society has pushed us into, uh, we tend to accept. And possibly we took a test. Again, another idea of measurement. We took a test. Uh, it wasn't about performance, but it was about skills, about knowledge, about competencies. And eventually we end up being uh, whatever, um, I don't know, um, paralegal or whatever. And, um, and that's what we are told that we are the best at. And what do we have to accept what society tells us? You know, living with, with heart is being, is being very, uh, very genuine, very, very authentic. Uh, that's what it means. And, and I think the more we are true to ourselves, the more we are genuine, uh, the more we can see things for the heart because we are closer to, to where we really are. And we are, we are acknowledging the, the beauty within or we're acknowledging, if you want another word, we're acknowledging the divine within us uh, and the divine purpose that, that brought us to, to this earth at this very time. So, so I think there's ways we can, you know, we can move towards this, this dialogue of the heart and, and have a way of, of letting the heart uh, influence um, our way of life on, uh, as, as often as possible. Again, I'm not saying it's, um, it's, it's easy 24-7, but um, as much as possible, you know, getting closer to, to, in a sense, thinking with the heart and feeling with the mind. I think that would be the ideal, in a sense, of mixing both um, walls. So I will talk about uh, Crispin the Little Dragon in, um, in a few minutes, right after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you looking to advance spiritually? Listen each week for Spiritual Enlightenment, Advancing One's Wisdom. Your host, Medium Maureen Allen, will cover an array of spiritual topics aimed to help you advance your soul's desired growth. Each week, areas of spirituality will be discussed and explored ranging from strange 
paranormal experiences to heaven, spirit guides, and angels. To learn more about the other dimensions and how to better assist your path of evolution, tune into Spiritual Enlightenment, Advancing One's Wisdom, every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello again, this is Jill. Welcome back. Thank you very much for listening. So I would like to, to tell you about the story of Crispin again and, and the way Crispin defies society's uh, boxes or society's structuring uh, power in a sense. So the book is called Not Your Typical Dragon and it's a story of uh, Crispin, a little dragon who is about to turn seven. And apparently when a, a dragon comes of age, uh, it is around the age of seven. That's when he starts breathing fire. Uh, I like this expression, breathing fire, because in French uh, we would say he's spitting fire. So uh, there's a, a birthday party, a small birthday party with his family and uh, his sister. And, and uh, Crispin is, always, is already dreaming about um, what he can do, what he, what he will do when he's about to, to breathe fire. He will burn some... Um, lands, it will destroy castles, it will do other things like uh, boiling uh, hot water for, for tea, things that are not quite um, usual in a sense for a dragon. And then the party comes and uh, his mother asks him, you know, would you like to blow the candles? And of course, um, he's ready to do this, he would light the candles, sorry, of course, he would light the candle. And he's ready to do this, and uh, he opens his mouth, and what comes out of his mouth is whipped cream. Everybody's very surprised. Whipped cream? A dragon doesn't breathe whipped cream. Why? Judy dragons breathe fire. So his father is sort of disappointed. Uh, his mother is concerned about what, what will the neighbors, the community, think about my son if he doesn't breathe fire. Again, we have traditional roles, traditional functions for ourselves and our children. There are uh, certain milestones they need to reach. I mean, look at the worlds of humans. Uh, we just work um, and function the very same way. So then uh, Crispin's father takes his son to the doctor. And, and guess what? Uh, the doctor asked him, can you please open your mouth and breathe fire so that I can uh, check into your, your throat? And he opened, Crispin's opens his mouth, and, and what comes out of his mouth is band-aids. So band-aids come out of his mouth. And the doctor realizes that it's something very serious. Um, we need to do something about it. And uh, so he gives some syrup um, to take twice a day, uh, similar to cough syrups, and that, that should fix the problem, he says to, to his father. 
in the meantime, the nurse is pretty pleased because she said, yeah, we are low on band-aids, so it's good that your son can breathe band-aids, I guess. He's a very, very smart and very um, good guy. So Crispin goes home, and then the next situation he finds himself in is a, is a coaching situation. He's being coached by a, 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 a fire-breathing coach who is coaching and teaching his students um, how to breathe fire. So it's obviously a very testing situation for him. And uh, he opens his mouth, and what comes out of his mouth are this time marshmallow. And his friends are very happy because they pick a stick, and then they get the marshmallow to roast on a, on a fire. So it makes them happy. At the same time, I think... Um, Based on, on Dragon Society standards, Crispin is feeling a bit, a bit sad, a bit depressed, because he, he realizes again that he, can, he cannot measure up, he cannot breathe fire. So he decides to leave and go on his own, and, and he goes into a cave. He goes into a cave, and he stays there and said, I'm going to stay there as long as I need to, and, and maybe after a while I will get my, my fire-breathing power again. And then a few minutes later came a, a shiny knight, a thin, a shiny knight called Sir George. And Sir George is, you know, is expecting the dragon to breathe fire and he's there to test his own bravery, uh, to test his own skills. So he asked Crispin, you know, do your worst, I'm ready. I'm going to be able to fight and defeat the breathing, the fire-breathing dragon. And then Crispin opens his mouth, and what comes out is bubbles, sub-bubbles come out of Crispin's mouth. So Sir George is very surprised. What's going on? My father told me that every dragon breathes fire. I've never seen a dragon, a young dragon, breathing sub-bubbles. Something must be wrong. And luckily, luckily, Sir George has a book called... Um, it tells him, you know, how to fight fire-breathing dragons. So he looks into the book and he said, maybe we can find something here that can help you uh, to regain your own uh, fire-breathing power. And say, it's probably your diet. So he feeds uh, Crispin, Sir George feeds Crispin spicy curry, scorching chili, blistering salsa. You would think that it would do the job and that... Um, Crispin would fire, would uh, breathe fire suddenly, and, and surprisingly, what comes out of uh, the dragon's mouth is uh, red party streamers, at least the right color. So Sir George is, is somewhat happy, but he says maybe it's your attitude. That's what my book is saying. You have to be more mean and angry when you breathe fire. So then uh, Crispin try to be mean and angry, at least looks like if you were. And then he opens his mouth, and what comes out are teddy bears. So teddy bears out of the fire-breathing dragon. What's going on? And then another idea comes out of the book. <coughs> Sir Jock says, oh, maybe you are too stressed. So imagine yourself on a, on a beach uh, having a nice cocktail by the palm trees, uh, enjoying yourself with a flock of birds flying around. And now imagine a hundred shiny knights attacking you. Are you ready to fight? Yes, 
and see what happens. He opens his mouth, and what comes out are beach balls. It's just too much. Three attempts, even four attempts, and nothing is working. I think it's it's never going to work. You have to admit that you're not a typical dragon, Crispin. And Crispin agrees, and he said, I'm missing my parents, so I would like to go home. Would you like to take me home? And so George was happy that, in a sense, um, Crispin doesn't bring fire because he can make friends with him. He said, yes, I will take you home. And it takes Crispin home. And uh, <laughs> as, he gets, sorry, as he gets home, he finds his parents, and everybody is very happy. And at the same time, uh, Sir George's father is looking for him, and he's wondering what, what's going on. I haven't heard anything about this... Um, this knight of mine, this son of mine, who is fighting uh, fire-breathing dragons. And he comes into the, the dragon family's house, and he asks his son, what are you doing here? And he said, I became friend with a dragon that doesn't breathe fire. What's going on, said the father. It's impossible. I've never seen a dragon that doesn't breathe fire. And I said, it's a silly thing. And based on those words, Crispin's father gets very upset. And he opens his mouth, and guess what? Real fire comes out of Crispin's father's mouth. Wow, it's so powerful. It starts to burn the lawn, the, the roof also um, is on fire. And the fence is starting to burn. The neighbors are coming in and say, what's going on? What kind of fire is this? And the father is worried. He said, I can't stop my breathing fire, my fire breathing pattern. What's going on? And Christine's mother also is very concerned. I mean, you're going to burn down the whole neighborhood. And suddenly, Crispin, who has been observing the whole scene, feels a, a bubbling in his tummy. He opens his mouth. And guess what comes out of his mouth? Water. The miracle of water comes out of his mouth. And it um, quenches everything. The fire dies. Everybody's saved. Crispin's mother is so happy. Crispin's father is a bit out of it because it was such a, a heavy exercise of breathing fire. Everybody is happy. And so everybody goes home, and soon it's the Crispin's eighth birthday party, a year later. Sir George is invited, and his father is invited as well, and it's a, it's a nice party. And guess what? Crispin's opened his mouth once again, and what comes out of his mouth for the party is music. Music that everybody can enjoy, and every music, sorry, music that everybody can dance on. And that makes everybody happy. And Crispin's uncle uh, notices what's going on. He comes to see Crispin's father and he says, Your son, by the way, is not your typical dragon, is he? And Crispin's father replies, No, my son is something special. And then he jumped up and danced to Crispin's music too. So this is the, the story of a a non-typical, a very special um, dragon. And, and we can see that uh, initially, um, Crispin doesn't meet society's standards. And uh, that sounds like a problem. That sounds like a problem for his father, for his mother, for his coach. 
and even for his uh, potential enemy, Sir George, who thinks that every dragon should breathe fire. To be maybe it's a sign of masculinity. I don't know. And in the end, we see how useful um, Crispin's skills. Uh, they are very varied. You know, he can adjust his his skills based on what he feels. Again, we go back to the heart. Based on based on what goes on within his heart, he can express himself. And when there's a fire in the house, then he can breathe or he can gush uh, water out of his mouth. And uh, when there's a party going on, a dancing party, he can breathe music. He can breathe music. So, so if we think back about this story of, of Crispin again and what we, um, we see in society, uh, my, my observation and my reflection for the past couple of days is that there's not, not much of the heart is being acknowledged uh, in our societies. And, and I think many, many things need to be, to be changed, to be turned possibly upside down. The mind has had way too much influence upon, uh, upon the, uh, people who build up uh, societies and structures and infrastructures throughout the ages. Um, we've come to a time, and maybe that's no accident that I'm talking about this today, but we've come to a time when the heart needs to have more, more influence um, in the way we live, in the way we interact with each other in the way we talk to our neighbors, in the way we go grocery shopping, for instance. And, and that goes back to the question, how can I see, how can I discern, how can I live, in a sense, according to my heart, or according or based on the, the ears or the, the eyes of my heart? Is there a way that I can, um, the word that comes to mind is enlighten. Is there a way I can enlighten uh, People around me, uh, my co-workers, my family, my parents, my siblings, my, my children. You know, we've, we're putting more heart. I'm not saying we're not doing it. But around us, uh, there, there's so much mind's influence. There's so much uh, society's rules, laws, and standards um, around us that um, it's hard to resist sometimes. And uh, also, we're dealing with something called time. And when the time is up, time is up. And uh, it's something we have to deal with. It's something we have to address. There's just no, no way otherwise. I mean, I personally learn about uh, what a deadline means. The meaning of a deadline in French is somewhat different but from what you find in the U.S. Uh, but being in graduate school... Um, in Wisconsin some 20 years ago, I mean, obviously, I was meeting some deadlines along with my classmates. And it feels like a wall. And a wall feels not, it doesn't feel very soft. It doesn't feel of the heart. It feels more like someone is imposing us something. And it's what education does. If you think back about our educational system, the way things work, uh, the question that came to mind is, why do we need grading? Why do we need to grade uh, the knowledge or the skills of our students, of our children? Why do we need to do that to them? Uh, I think we're starting by doing this, uh, of putting uh, them in a, in a context which is very hard. 
uh, hard uh, as opposed to soft. That's what I mean. It's not like I'm thinking about a box. Uh, but we, we are putting them into a context that is going to give them a fairly rigid, um, structured mind because there's an exam coming up and they need to study because they need to get good grades and they need to have their paper ready on time because if not, if they uh, maybe two hours late, they're going to get uh, penalized for that. So... Yeah. Again, again, I think before we, we talk on a personal level about, uh, about the heart, I think it's important to realize um, how surrounded we are by the mind, the mind and its, um, I would say, its, its attributes. Um, again, its influence. Um, and it's, it's also very much the same if you think about the way we grow um, at a fairly young age, we tend to be convinced that we are the center of the world. I mean, again, I look at our five-year-old, and it's like um, everything revolves around him. He wants something. He asks for it. We sometimes give it to it. When it's chips or candy, we try not to give him too much. But um, it's interesting how, as a young child, I think, I don't know what age... Um, the heart starts to, to tickle, in a sense, uh, and to take some, some form, some shape. Uh, I think it depends on, on many different factors, I guess, the environment, but also our inner uh, abilities. But it's very interesting that um, at a fairly young age, uh, a child thinks um, that he or she is the center of the world. In, um, in our daycare, the daycare where our son goes, there was a, a young girl who used to be part of the daycare last year, and so she's now in kindergarten, and around Christmas time, she was off from school, so she spent um, a couple more days uh, in the daycare, and I was there the first morning when she came in, and when she got to the, to the counter, there's a counter after you get into the daycare, and she saw the person at the desk or behind the counter, and she said, do you remember who I am? You know, do you remember who I am? The question was so clear, and there was so much, uh, so much energy into it. You know, I am, I am. I don't remember the girl's name, but I guess it's interesting that um, we are so much into our mind at that age, and, and because of society does to us uh, again from a fairly early, fairly young age, it reinforces that that. Not that feeling, but that idea that um, we are our minds, I guess, and, and that there's, there's not much else that we can do. And um, so my, my message here in his, my message here is that um, we need to become aware of how much we function from our minds in the first place and how much mind's influence we get in our society. And um, a good thing also to to stay away from the mind's influence is, is to stay away from the media because there's so much, um, what word would I use wisely, so much influencing, so much propaganda sometimes uh, that would make us think that we are somebody else, that we are not. We are beings of, beings of love, beings of a heart. And it's something that we need to be uh, convinced of. But I'm, I'm pretty convinced that it's not by watching, to, watching TV or watching some reality show, in a sense. 
that we will learn about uh, who we are and what our hearts um, are all about. So that's um, my little thinking for the past three or four days, um, taking, taking into consideration the, um, the story of Crispin, I think, which was very, um, very influential, very, very lovely, but there's a message into it. And, and um, I don't know if all five-year-old get the message, but um, we don't, they don't know what they want to be in life yet, so they still have time to, to meander and to think for themselves or to feel for themselves using their heart. So I will uh, stop here with these few words and I will uh, see you again right after the break. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders, answering the higher calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Yes, hello again. This is Jill. Thank you very much for listening for being here today. So, building on the story from Crispin, um, a question I had written down, and I'm, I'm not going to be willing to, to answer those today, but um, the question that came to mind is how do we acknowledge the non-traditional parts of who we are? In a sense, the, the heart parts of who we are. How do we give, how do we give them space to breathe? in a structured society, a society which very often is not meant to serve spiritual beings. It serves much more rational beings, you know, thinkers. I mean, if you look at the 
educational system again you know you have PhDs in the U.S., I mean, often around the world, but I guess it's very, very structured in the U.S. Uh, where you go about education, you get a four-year degree and possibly a six-year and then an eight-year degree. And what you accumulate essentially is knowledge, but uh, there's so little about the heart. There's so little about intuition. There's so little about creativity. Uh, there's so little about feeling, uh, and there's so much about knowledge that you can measure, that you can uh, put into a box, that you can put into a test, that you can, you know, assess a student's ability to, to summarize a book, for instance, and to summarize concepts. Uh, but how do you assess a person's ability to commune with nature, for instance, you know, to go around and even communicate with birds, um, any kind of animals around why is it that uh, our society doesn't value that? Uh, it should be, it should be part of our uh, educational system. Not only when uh, the child is in uh, in his prime age, like elementary school, when they learn about the world. But I mean, much further on. I mean, why is it that we lose that that ability to commune with our environment? Um, these are big questions for for the years and the, the decades to come. Because I think we'd have to give more more space to the heart in our societies. And so these are my questions uh, of the day. And at the same time, more on, a, on an individual level, I was thinking, you know, how can we possibly balance um, mind and heart? Again, we need our mind to function. We need our mind to to work, to, to do things around in and around the house. And I, I keep hearing, you know, people who, teachers or sages that gives advice, spiritual sages that gives advice about dealing with the mind. And I heard very often that, that expression, how can we be the master of our mind? And I think it's a good expression. Um, Another one I learned also is uh, from a, a master that I mentioned before called Joel Kuhl. How can we love our mind into submission? It's, uh, it's an interesting one. And along came the notion of, um, of taming. You know, how can we tame our mind? If, if our mind is a wild animal, um, how can we tame it? Uh, so that it's still uh, an animal somewhat wild but also very gentle and, and obedient I think that's the idea and I was playing with these notions uh, over the past uh, three or four days and finally this morning came uh, a word, a word in French uh, which I think really encapsulates the, the concept or the notion that I want to convey here and, and um, the French word is amadoué how can we amadoué our mind? And amadoué means um, how can we make it uh, softer in a sense? And softer and um, what I thought about the word also is how can we be friend with our mind? Because if we find our minds, you know, in the open, it's not going to be a very um, pleasant adventure. It's going to be very bloody. And um, so how do we do that? And I think it's important that we we realize how our mind functions, and it's not always easy to to reflect on that. 
But um, interestingly, Monday morning when I was going out uh, shopping for food, I wasn't feeling very happy. I mean, I was I was feeling pressed for time. You know, time is one of my challenges, uh, which makes a lot of sense based on how I was uh, uh, raised in my home. And um, I was feeling pressured. I had things to do during the day. I had mine things to do during the day. Uh, I was going to do some bookkeeping. So obviously, uh, it's very much uh, a mind exercise. And... Um, and I was feeling uh, pressured because uh, our son got up late. And then I was at least, um, according to my own standards, I was at least 30 or 40 minutes late based on what I had envisioned initially. And uh, I still went out shopping because I needed to buy some food for the family. And then came the idea, you know, how can I detach myself from that feeling of, it's not even a feeling, from that, you know, knowingness of being pressured uh, because I'm, I'm running late, uh, how can I possibly have compassion for my mind? Because, because you know, who is suffering in the process? Uh, it, it's a very, um, possibly a very existential question. Who is suffering in the process when I'm feeling pressured like this? Is it the whole I? The old I, Gilles Asselin, or is it just my mind? And came the idea then that I think it's possible to have compassion for my mind and for what goes through my mind, for the irritations. And the more we, we tend to disentangle, in a sense, to detach ourselves from our mind, our minds are not, it's not a whole of who we are, we are not our minds, we are not our thoughts. Sometimes I have, just like anyone else, some not very positive thoughts uh, about people around or just that comes from my mind and I can't explain why. And I keep remind, reminding myself that I'm not my thoughts. And there's something else in, in, in me, in us, that, I, that is alive and that can give a lot of meaning to our, to our beingness. And so, that's the question that came Monday morning, you know. How can we possibly feel compassion for our minds and for the myriad of emotions and irritation that experiences? Uh, it's interesting that I started thinking back about maybe 10, 12 years ago. Um, I came into an argument, and this was a very, very... Uh, a uh, screaming match, in a sense, a very violent argument on the phone, fortunately. Um, something, I don't need to give any details then, but the, the guy, is a French guy, I was arguing with a French guy on the phone, the guy was in D.C. He worked at the time for the Alliance Francaise, and he was supposed to set up um, a trip for my colleague and I, and we had, you know, we didn't agree on some details that involved money, obviously. And, and I remember screaming on the phone with this guy and that really I'm not the kind of guy who screams uh, very easily I tend to be very I wouldn't say not reserved but balanced as much as possible and when I have emotions like anybody else I tend to to do a bit of introspection but this time it was again a long time 10-12 years ago I let it all out and it was very it was very bloody and I remember after the meeting, I was still a Buddhist at that time, but I was still, you know, like boiling in a sense. And I went to see um, another Buddhist. We had a meeting, and, and um, I had to vent because I had so much anger still in myself. 
that uh, I needed to express it. And uh, for a couple of minutes, I, I talked to my friend. I explained to him what had happened. And I said, I can't deal with this emotion. It's so strong. It engulfed me. And I don't know how to let it down, I guess. And, and it's, um, it's not easy. And the reason I was thinking about that is uh, to think about the kind of progress I have made over the years. And... Uh, there's many different ways you can make progress, but um, many different techniques uh, you can use to, to again, detach yourself from your mind uh, and to look at it again. I would, I would, it's almost like an advice um, to have compassion for your mind. How do you do that? Uh, this is a very powerful question. And... Um, I think it can bring results, you know, maybe not tomorrow morning, but uh, in a very interesting way. And um, so that's what I was thinking, you know, how can I possibly detach myself from, from our mind? And um, again, to get back to the idea that I've made progress uh, over the years, um, I think something which is essential when you want to work with the mind, obviously you can do lots of meditation. And during the meditation your mind tends to quiet down quite a bit. But the challenge is when you find yourself in, uh, in daily life, um, what do you do? I mean, it's a very different situation. You have people around there, around you, that obviously like to enjoy, to enjoy um, pressuring you or pressing your hot buttons in a sense. And it's, it's sometimes difficult not to react the way I reacted 10 or 12 years ago. And I, and I think it's a very essential practice besides meditations and all the kinds of, of developmental work you can do with masters, with group work, with um, discussion, even possibly therapy if you need to. I mean, it, I think questioning and questioning what goes from out of your mind, uh, what comes out of your mind is a very important um, piece in here. And um, what I would call in a sense... Uh, self-examination and you have to do it very ruthlessly in a sense you have to be you know questioning every little bit that comes out of your mind especially if it's something that you don't quite like you have to try to figure out why is it coming out at this time what prompted it you have to understand in a sense that the mechanism at work uh, that made um, your mind act or react that way and um, I'm, I'm mentioning this, this um, practice of questioning. Uh, I think it's an essential practice again. And it goes back to the quote from Rainer Meyer Rilke that I introduced at the beginning of the show. Uh, you may not get all the, the answers to your questions, but I think what is very important is that you ask the questions. And the questions, believe me, the questions are not lost. They are somewhere in the universe. And they will, the answers may get back to you just at the right time. You're not aware of that time. It may not be again tomorrow morning or the day after. But the answer will be there. And sometimes they will be lying at the bottom of where you are. And they will be not coming from your mind. They will be coming from, from a different part of you. And I wanted to mention, to, to end, um, I wanted to talk about, um, I don't have enough time, but I wanted to talk about uh, a book called The Matter of Mind. And I will... Um, talk about it next week and introduce a meditation practice. But I was, what I wanted to say to close is to mention a very small anecdote that happened to me also um, 
Tuesday and Wednesday. And um, on Tuesday, I started thinking for whatever reason about a, a psychology professor that I had in, in Wisconsin when I was in graduate school about um, 20, 25 years ago. Her name is Susan McFadden, a, a very bright woman that I really liked. And I started thinking about her on Tuesday for, for whatever reason. I, I don't know why. And very interestingly, on Wednesday, I got to the post office and in the post, in our post office box, there was a magazine for the alumni of our school. And in that magazine, this person, Susan McFadden, has been retired for two years. And yet, in the magazine, she was featured. And she was featured, and there was a picture of her, and she was giving a workshop uh, to some people who are suffering from dementia. And you could see her writing on a, on a board. And she was there, and I thought to myself, you know, isn't it incredible that on Tuesday I think about her for whatever reason, I had no specific reason if I only trust my mind to think about this person. And the next day she pops up in my mailbox or in the magazine. And I thought it was very interesting because what I, what I, you know, what I question is why does this come to me? And I will, um, I will try to to answer that question next week, but um, thinking again about what comes from our mind and what comes from our heart. So thank you very much for listening, and I will um, talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giles Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again.